Good morning, everyone. Let's stand together. Let's worship the Lord together. We're going to have a good day today. And may I say that we have the best-looking crowd in all of Fairfield. Can I just say that? Give yourselves a round of applause. Praise is rising. Eyes are turning to you. That's right. We turn to you. And hope is stirring. Hope is stirring. Hearts are yearning for you. We long for you. It's when we see you. When we see you.
7, verses 1 through 2. They say, clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. How awesome is the Lord Most High, the great King over all the earth. The Lord Most High is awesome beyond words, but that didn't keep David and the other songwriters from worshiping him, and nor should it keep us from doing the same. Some of you may remember this one. Shout to the Lord. It's been a little... Been a, been a bit since we've done it, but uh, I think it embodies the spirit of Psalm 47, so let's do that together right now.
the Lord. Let's have a seat for a moment. <laughs> I'd like to invite my wife, uh, Carolyn, up to the stage, and we're going to continue our worship now through uh, celebrating the Lord's Supper together. Faithful, and God is good. And this morning, we get to celebrate communion together. And communion is not just a religious observance, but it is a holy time of fellowship with God. We are told in the book of Matthew that the night Jesus was betrayed, he was meeting together with his disciples, and they were having a, a supper together. They were celebrating the Passover But Jesus was doing something new. And Jesus is the reason that we celebrate communion. You see, Jesus took the bread and he said, This is my body, which is given for you. And Jesus was referring to the coming hours where he would be betrayed and he would be tortured and he would be crucified. He was the perfect Lamb of God. And his body would be broken for us. Then Jesus took a cup and he gave thanks and he passed it to his disciples saying, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is being poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now throughout the Old Testament, the cup is actually used as a symbol of God's holy wrath. And what did Jesus do with the cup? He took it. He took the cup of God's wrath in the place of his people. In our sin, we deserve the wrath of God. Yet the New Testament presents for us a picture of the promised one who drank the cup in our place. At the cross, Jesus bore the wrath of God in the place of his people. And through his sacrifice, Our sin and our shame, they're removed. Through the gospel, Jesus holds forth to his children another cup. This cup is the new covenant in his blood. This is the cup of communion, not wrath. It is the cup we drink from as we celebrate the Lord's Supper and rehearse the goodness of Jesus and the beauty of the gospel. There are two cups, the cup of wrath, And the cup of communion. For the people of God, the cup of wrath has been drunk by our Savior. And the cup of communion is held out to us because of his sacrifice. As I mentioned earlier, celebrating communion is a holy time of connection with God. For the gift of his son, it's taking the cup of communion and the bread representing Jesus' body that was broken for us. giving thanks so in a moment I'm going to ask you to come forward um, to to get the elements and we're actually going to get a wafer that's going to represent the body of Christ that was broken for us and a cup the cup of communion and as everyone after everyone's had a chance to get that um, we're going to actually I'm going to pray with us and then uh, we're going to take communion together so right now I'd ask you to go ahead and come forward to get the elements
Okay. Right now, let's pray. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we bow before you in humility and ask for you to examine our hearts today. When we come to communion, Lord, when we come to your table, we want to do so in a heart that's grateful, that's thankful, that's worshiping, and that's loving you, Jesus. Lord, we ask that you would show us anything that is not pleasing to you and reveal anything that's going on in our life, God, that's going to keep us from that communion with you. Any pride, any, any sin, any rebellion or unforgiveness that may be hindering our relationship with you because our desire is to live for you. And we thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. In Jesus' name. And on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took a loaf of bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, the communion cup. And he said, This cup is the new covenant between God and you. Sealed by the shedding of my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we recognize that Jesus' body was broken for us. That his blood was shed on our behalf. We acknowledge that he carried our sin. And he experienced all the wrath for us. Through his sacrifice for us, we have complete forgiveness and cleansing before God and total deliverance of our sin. We thank you that because of Jesus, we take the cup of communion and because he took the cup of wrath in our place. Our debt is paid. Our eternal debt for our sin is paid. And the victory is won. We thank you for it all. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Carolyn. Folks, before we continue our worship through music, I want to invite you to take a few moments to greet the folks around you. And perhaps ask one another, what is one thing you are grateful for today? And we'll continue our worship in just a moment.
with him. He's strong to save. He's faithful in love. Let's celebrate that in so many other things. Sing with me now the grace of God. The grace God has reached for me and pulled me from the raging sea. On the solid ground, the Lord is my salvation. I will not fear. I will not fear when darkness falls. Oh, help me scale these walls. I'll see the dawn of the rising sun. Lord is my salvation. Who is like the Glory be to God. 
Welcome to Solana Valley Church. We're really, really glad you're with us today, whether you are joining us here in person or whether you're joining from uh, Facebook or YouTube. We're really, really glad you're with us. Uh, today, it's my privilege uh, to introduce to you Dave Gudgel. Dave is a good friend of mine. We've known each other for about 12, 13 years now. Uh, Dave has over 40 years of pastoral experience. He is the author of several books and booklets. And uh, today he's going to be talking with us about something called the four eyes. I'm really excited about what he has to share with you. Uh, in conjunction with this, I want to um, I just I want to invite you in the month of September, which is starting this week, uh, the month of September, we want to make this love your neighbor month. And one of the things that I would like to encourage you to do as your pastor is to two or three days a week, just make a point to go for a walk to your neighborhood. And as you walk to your neighborhood, one of the things I want to encourage you to do is to pray for, to intercede on behalf of your neighbors. Just You don't have to, uh, just, just as you walk, uh, you may or may not know people by name, but just walk to your neighborhood 10, 15 minutes and just pray for the people who live around you. And to pray that God would save them, uh, to pray that God might even give you an open door of opportunity to share with them about what Christ has done in your life. But in the month of September, we want to devote our month to loving our neighbor by praying for our neighbor. And so uh, he, right now, Dave's going to come up. He's going to talk with us more about the four eyes, and he will talk with us a little bit about interceding on behalf of our the people around us. Where you gather, 
uh, has been for meetings. So we would sit back in one of those rooms back there and make some decisions related to ministry, but primarily the association, which when I came, when Bernice and I started in the association, it was called the Next Gen Association. Before that, it was the Conservative Baptist Association, and now we're the Venture Church Network. So check back with us in a few years. We'll see what, um, you know, what our name might be at that time. But it's been really exciting to actually make adjustments to see how God wants us to go as we're continuing to try to impact the culture that's around us. And it continues to be a challenge. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, living out the Christian life, it's not easy. And it's something that keeps us absolutely dependent upon God, doesn't it? Which is just contrary to how we think as parents. I know Gary's way and they're having the APU experience. We had that experience. We had three children. Uh, they, they all graduated from college. They're all married now. And so we're down that road, but they ended up, all three of them go to APU. So all three went to Azusa Pacific University. If they would have only told us, you know, in advance, like the first one decided to go there, and we had no idea that the other two would have gone there, we would have did a whole different thing on the housing thing. You know what I mean? I mean, boy, we paid APU for the housing. We could have invested in a house or something. I don't want to get off on that. But anyway, so, you know, the whole experience of how things change over the years and things are changing right now as far as it concerns our Christian lives and the world that we live in and the impact of churches on the culture around us. You know, one of the things I've learned and I'm learning still, even after 40 years of ministry, I've been a lead pastor in three churches one in Southern California for 25 years we were in that church. And then one over in Phoenix, Arizona for seven years, which I, I'm telling you, don't go to Phoenix in the summer. I mean, if you've ever been there in the summer, we were there through seven summers, which is a miracle. We're so thankful to God that we did not stay there for 40 years and wander in the desert. You know what I mean? But anyway, so we got in and out of there in seven years we were at a church called Bethany Bible Church. It was the church where J. Vernon McGee, you ever heard that name? He was called by this church when they were just getting started, Bethany Bible Church. He was called and they asked him if he would be willing to come and be the lead pastor of this church. The whole thing's getting started. And he said, there are three reasons I would not come, June, July, and August. Now, if you go to Phoenix, you know that it's longer than June, July, and August. I mean, it's like forever, 100 days of over 100 degrees if you're there. So anyway, we were there seven years, and then we came over to Mountain View here in the Bay Area, and we were there for 11 years. And just a little bit ago, we stepped down. I was succeeded by another younger pastor, 30 years younger at least, on you know, younger than me, and it's so fun to see the things that they're continuing to do and new things that they're doing. And I'll tell you, one of the things that I've learned in these years of ministry is this. When it comes to the matter of evangelism, the older a church is. Now, by older, I mean not necessarily, you know, like reality older of how much how old we are as individuals, but just the number of years, okay? I'm not going to get that personal with you. But the number of years that a church has been in existence. So the older, the longer a church has been around, the less likelihood that this church is having great evangelistic impact. Which is to say that 
the longer that we as believers who make up the church, the body of Christ, the longer we as believers have known the Lord, the less likely we are of doing the work of an evangelist. The work of an evangelist. Now, are you familiar with the work of evangelist? Are you familiar with that, that language? It's actually language that's used in 2 Timothy chapter 4. In fact, if you have your Bible, you could look there with me. We're going to actually go over to Colossians chapter 4. But in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul's writing to Timothy. Timothy's a young pastor. He's in the church at Ephesus. And Paul has to say to Timothy this, 2 Timothy 4, 2, preach the word. Now you'd think like, yeah, come on, that's what we do. Be diligent, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Now, most of us would say that's like, you know, the step one, preach the word of God. And I think that most of us absolutely believe that the word of God must be taught. In fact, that's why a church like this church is committed to teaching the word of God on Sunday mornings and uh, studying the scriptures and growing and maturing in our faith in God through Jesus Christ. Recently, I spoke over at Turlock First Baptist Church, one of the association churches. Judson was away on a sabbatical. And I said, Judson, what would you like me to speak on? He said, you could just speak on the Bible, anything in the Bible. I said, anything? He said, anything. As long as you just teach the Bible, we're going to be okay. I said, okay. So, you know, we taught the scriptures there. I got to teach three times while he was away. And it was just a little bit ago. So we understand that. But then in verse 5, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5, Paul then went on to say, having said, now you've got to preach the word. Then he went on to say, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. And, and the fact that he connected discharge all the duties of your ministry to this work of the evangelist is fascinating to me. Because I think the older a church gets, the less likely they are to do the work of an evangelist. What happens is we put mirrors up and take down the windows. And we can tend to sort of look at ourselves, you know, and think about ourselves. And we can tend to think about ourselves more than we think about, like, who's on the other side of the windows? Who's outside the family of God? And what's fascinating here is that Timothy is having to be told by Paul, which he was the guy that founded the church at Ephesus. So he knew, you know, what good things were happening in this church. And there are many good things. But he also knew that this church needed to continue to have a leader who would lead them in doing the work of an evangelist. And I think that that's just so important, especially right now. One, we're still living in hard times, and he makes the connection here to Timothy. It's going to be difficult. These days are going to be difficult where you're called to do this evangelistic work, and we understand that. I also love the fact that Paul, quote, was sheltering in place when he wrote this letter, right? I mean, it wasn't like the sheltering in place that we've been doing the last three years and on and off. Uh, but the sheltering in place for him was in Rome. He was in chains. He was imprisoned for the gospel of Jesus Christ for doing the work of an evangelist. He was in prison. 
So here he is in sheltering in place, and he's thinking, I don't want to stop doing the work of evangelists. And Timothy, you can't stop doing the work of an evangelist either. Now, one of the reasons why I thought this would be good for us to talk about this morning is because what I'm seeing in the church right now is it's, it's sad in the sense that the work of evangelist is, I think, just not happening. And even ways that equal how it was happening or wasn't happening before COVID. So I'll just talk briefly about me, about my evangelistic work. And in these last three years, I'll tell you, it's been almost nothing if I think about it. And I'm a person who absolutely loves to connect with unbelievers. But you all know that, you know, coffee shops, sitting around in coffee shops and other things like where we connected with unbelievers, those, those have kind of been thrown out of, out of, uh, you know, out of our schedules. And so in many cases, we're not continuing to perhaps frequent places where we're going to hang out with outsiders, which is the language you're going to see here in just second Colossians four with unbelievers. And I think that in some ways, I know in my own life, a topic like doing the work of an evangelist could be very strategic for us this morning, especially right now, as we're beginning to hopefully re-engage our culture in new ways, in fresh ways. In some ways, we really need a restart. Our oldest son yesterday, I asked Brent, who happens to be a documentary filmmaker, and so he's always connecting with people, and especially at coffee shops, with people that are outside of God's family. And I said, Brent, how is the whole area of evangelism, you know, coming back into your life? And he said, Dad, it, it is. It's beginning to slowly come back into my life. I'm, I'm back at the coffee shop again, you know. And the coffee shop for him is a place that he just loves to meet people. Well, I think in many ways it would be good for us to just stop just for a few minutes, and that's what we're going to do right now, and just consider this whole work of an evangelist, something that Paul was deeply concerned about for Timothy, uh, who perhaps didn't have the gift of evangelist. But nonetheless, Paul is saying to him, even if you don't have the gift of evangelist, you need to do the work of an evangelist. And so Paul writes about this in his seven prison letters. He wrote seven of his 13 letters from prison or from, you know, being in bondage. And one of those was Colossians. So in Colossians chapter four, as he gets into this issue of evangelism, I think there's something here for all of us. Colossians four, the last chapter in the book, he writes this verses two to six. Devote yourselves to prayer. A great church. He says to them, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise, verse 5, in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. 
Now, of all the things, you know, Paul could have been thinking about, what would you be thinking about? You're, you're chained to the Roman guard, you know, they keep on switching them. But you're chained to the guard. You can't just go do what you want to do. And yet, in that kind of a situation, we might call it not a great situation, a prison situation, he's still thinking about witnessing. He's thinking about, how can I right now, in my circumstances, do the work of evangelists? And as I look at what he is uh, communicating to the church at Colossae, what I see here is what I call a four eyes mindset. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with four eyes, you know, and you think of four eyes, I think of fifth grade when my teacher caught me squinting, you know, at the chalkboard. We didn't have whiteboards back then. And she sent me to the school nurse and the school nurse said, I think, David, you need glasses. And then she sent me off to the eye doctor and the eye doctor confirmed I needed glasses I didn't think I needed glasses, but boy, when I got glasses, it made a world of difference. I mean, I couldn't believe what was out there that I didn't see before, how it kind of cleared things up. My two eyes were not enough. I needed four eyes. Now, that could be a derogatory term. I'm not telling you to go use that with anybody who has glasses like me. I'm just saying that the four eyes made a positive impact in how I lived. And there are four eyes here that could make a positive evangelistic impact and how we do the work of evangelists. So I want to just look at this with you just briefly. The first eye is intercede. The second eye is identify. The third eye is invest. And the last eye is invite. And Gary talked about it on the video and he's talking about praying over your neighborhood. Maybe do some walks and start praying over your neighborhood. He said, you know, Maybe we could do more in the area of prayer or intercession. Well, that's where Paul begins. I love that, don't you? Devote yourselves to prayer, he told the church at Colossae, being watchful and thankful and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message. Now, this may be all it's going to take to kind of restart our evangelistic you know, work. Maybe even as a church, I don't know. But we, if we would just Go to God and begin to intercede on behalf of the work that he wants to do in and through us. You know, I think God will hear that prayer. I think his will is in line with that prayer, don't you? I think that he longs to see, and we know that he. one of the reasons he's not yet come, the Lord's not yet come, is because he still wants to see others come into his family. So I believe the Lord wants to see a great evangelistic work be done in both believers and in unbelievers. Yeah, believers and in unbelievers. So I think he wants to see a great evangelistic work be done in believers, insiders, in the language that's used here in Colossians 4, 5, and in the lives of outsiders. I mean, as far as it concerns insiders or believers that we would be constantly alert to the doors that God is opening around us to be Christ to others and to share that gospel message. So he says in verse 3, would you devote yourselves to prayer and then be, actually verse 2, I want you to devote yourselves to prayer. And as you're praying, then I want you to be alert to how God is working. 
How is he working in the lives of other people around you? How is he working in the world? And as you're praying, also, you need to be thankful and especially thankful that God is going to open doors. And so he, he wants us to be tuned in to what work God is doing, even as we are praying. So with an expectant attitude, we pray, Lord, would you open a door today? Now, do you guys have a Dutch Bros in this area? Yeah, okay. So if you've ever gone to Dutch Bros, you know the culture of Dutch Bros. And quite frankly, even if you never connected with anybody else but Dutch Bros, and I'm not telling you to only connect with Dutch Bros, you've got a perfect opportunity at Dutch Bros to share your gospel story. Seriously. Every time you drive up, they go, how's your day going? Well, you could go over to a Dutch Bros right after the service, and they would say to you, because this is what they do, right? Okay? This is what they do. They talk to you. They actually talk to you like you're a person. Can you believe this? They want to engage you in a conversation. This is just part of the whole culture of Dutch Bros. And I love it because if you're a person who's been praying for open doors, this could at least be an open window. I mean, the person's hanging out the window, right? And they're saying, how's your day been? And you can say, you know what? I got out to a great start today because I went to this church service. Oh, by the way, do you go to church? And you're into it. All I'm saying is, is if we could be alert to what God is doing, if we're praying, then potentially God will open doors and we could actually engage people evangelistically. This matter of intercession is so important to the Apostle Paul. He said the same thing to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. He said, pray also for me again, that whenever I open my mouth, my words, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. What got me here? My witnessing. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Now listen, he was already declaring it fearlessly, wasn't he? I mean, otherwise he wouldn't have been in jail, right? He wouldn't be in prison. So, He was courageously doing that. But now, you know, things got a little bit hard. I mean, we would call it terrible. And yet he's still saying, I just don't want to back off. I want to continue to be bold in my witness for Jesus. And quite frankly, I think one of the challenges that all of us have is being bold, is opening up our mouth and saying anything making any kind of connection, especially right now where the cancel culture wants nothing to do with you if you're not you know, willing to kind of have the company line, whatever the company line is right now. There are plenty of reasons why you might not want to say anything right now, but not according to God. He wants us to engage people in spiritual dialogue. So Paul is praying. Can we do that? Absolutely. Did Jesus want us to do that? Luke chapter 10, verse 2, Jesus said to them, to his followers, he said, the harvest is plentiful. There are people all over the place that are ready to come into God's family. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, people like Apostle Paul, people like us are few. So what can we do about that? Jesus said, therefore, pray earnestly, earnestly. Make this an intense Matter of prayer, intercessory prayer. Pray earnestly 
to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. God, please. We have the privilege of living here in Fairfield. And we want to see you do a new work. I mean, we need a new work. We really do right now. We need to come out of isolation. I need to come out of isolation. We need to re-engage with unbelievers. We need to restart. We need to reset. We need to push the button and say, we got to get back to doing the work of an evangelist. Now, I can't read these words without thinking about the first 10 years of my ministry. First 10 years of my ministry, I was focused on Ephesians 4 and verses 11 to 16, where it says a pastor, a teacher needs to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so I was focused on equipping the saints for the work of ministry. I long to see people like yourself grow up in Jesus Christ and then go out and reach the culture around us. And I used to talk about that all the time. And I did that for 10 years. And you know what happened after 10 years when it came to the whole matter of evangelism? I had an aha moment after 10 years. And the aha moment came where in a couple of conferences I went to, I was challenged with this whole matter of evangelism. One of the challenges just simply came along the lines of prayer where I heard speakers say, if you're not praying for at least five people, then you're disconnected with unbelievers and you need to do something about that. And I started to think about it. Do I have a list of even five? Five unbelievers that I'm praying about on a regular basis who I'm seeking to have a significant relationship with. And the fact of the matter was, no. In fact, our neighbor at the time, we didn't even know him. And we're in a condominium, a connected condominium to this guy. We didn't even know him. I mean, we made an intentional effort to begin to get to know him and started to pray. God, open the door and God, open the door. I remember, we invited him over for dinner one night. He came over for dinner with a bottle of wine. We didn't know what to do with the wine, you know. I mean, it wasn't our thing. And besides that, we never had an unbeliever in our home before. And here's this unbeliever bringing wine. What do we, what do, we do now? Does that mean we don't pray like we always pray before dinner? Or what, you know, what do we do? It was, it, was, it was a complete change for us to begin to pray for unbelievers and actually see God open the doors. And somewhere in the middle of all of that, I got wind of 2 Timothy chapter 4, where 2 Timothy 4, as I already said, verse 2 says, So preach the word, equip the saints, build them up, grow them up in the faith. And then a few verses later, he says, and do the work of an evangelist. In other words, you need to be as intentional about doing the work of an evangelist as you are about edifying the saints. And that was it. That was a huge change for us. I repented. I said, Lord, I don't want to continue my ministry. And for the next 30 years of lead pastor ministry, I didn't know it was going to be 30 more years. We've done everything we can. And I'm sure there's much more we could have done to try to help churches do both well. And quite frankly, when you begin to do evangelism well, it's going to seem like there's a disproportionate amount of effort that you're putting into evangelism in order to get it anywhere close in balance with edification. Because especially the older churches get, 
the more they focus on themselves and the less they focus on others. And it takes a disproportionate amount of effort to get evangelism where it really needs to be. And so one of the reasons I so appreciate what Paul is saying here is simply, we're not going to be able to do this in ourselves. We've got to have God intervening in our lives and the lives of unbelievers and doing a new work in all of us and changing our hearts because this is not something that we can do in our own strength. Not by might, nor by power, excuse me, nor by our power, but by the Spirit, says the Lord, right? So, intercession. The second thing I see in Paul here is initiate. This guy was looking for opportunities to initiate the spiritual into conversations. Do you see that in this text? I mean, after having said, pray for us that God would open a door, he says, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. What's the mystery of Christ? That Jesus is the Savior, hidden in the Old Testament Scriptures, but yet they're pointing toward the ultimate Messiah. Jesus is the fulfillment of that mystery. He's the one that we've been waiting for. And people need to hear that message. So he says, pray, would you, that God would open doors so that we would proclaim the mystery. We want to say something about Christ, that which has put me in chains. And I want to be able to proclaim it clearly as I should. All I see here is simply this. Paul had a readiness to initiate spiritual conversations. He wanted to bring Christ into the conversations, into the times when God opened doors with outsiders, with unbelievers. Verse 5, he wanted to engage people in spiritual conversations. He wanted to take the initiative that Jesus took. Remember in John chapter 4, Jesus at the well, Sychar, he's in Samaria. As far as the others that he was with, the apostles that he was with, Uh, They were concerned. They thought that he was in the wrong place. I mean, Samaria is the place that good kosher Jews went around. He's talking to a woman, evidently an immoral woman, somebody who came at noon to have to draw water, the hottest part of the day. She's been married five times. The guy she was with was not her husband, so she's living with somebody unmarried. It was not a situation that typically a rabbi would have a conversation with, especially in public. And yet Jesus says to this woman, would you give me a drink? Remember that? And she was what? She was shocked. Like, you're having a conversation with me? Me? Are you sure? And Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. I mean, we're just talking about having, you know, some water here. And now all of a sudden we're into deep spiritual things over here. Jesus brought Jesus into the conversation. Do you do that? I know Christ followers who never talk about Jesus to people. Who don't bring Jesus into conversations. Do you remember that... um, that opportunity that Philip had to do that? He was taken to the road to Gaza. You remember that in Acts chapter 8? And uh, there was a guy there on a chariot. The Spirit said to him, go, go over there. Go over there. You know, and so he went over there. He heard this man reading from the scroll of Isaiah. 
And uh, Philip said, do you understand what you're reading? He just asked a question. Jesus asked a question. Philip asked a question. And immediately he got into a spiritual conversation with this guy. Let me help you understand. And he took him to the Messiah. Maybe Isaiah 53. They didn't have numbers on the chapters at that time. But he took him to an understanding of the Messiah. And I love that. How do you get into spiritual conversations with people? Do you? I just love to meet people, get to know them a little bit. And as a part of the getting to know them, sometimes even in the first conversation when you're saying, hey, do you live in the area? How long you lived here? Are you married? Do you work in the area? Do you have any spiritual beliefs? I'll drop that one in. Do you have any spiritual beliefs? Now, I have never yet had a person say to me, in that first, second, or third conversation, or whatever it is, when it's appropriate, and I'm not trying to cram it in there or anything like that, I'm just saying that a simple question like, do you have any spiritual beliefs, can help you know where the person you're talking to is with spiritual matters. A simple question like that. And I've had many people say to me, ah, it used to be a part of my life, to the extent of, you know, I want nothing to do with spiritual things, which means we're not having this conversation. I mean, you know, this is if you're asking the question of yourself, is this an open door? I would say that's probably not an open door right now. You know, pay attention, pay attention, be careful what you say next. You don't want to try to cram it down their throat. But we can begin to initiate spiritual conversations with people just by what Jesus did or Philip did. We could just by asking a question just a question you can do do that excuse me you can do that right at the window of dutch bros you know so he said i went to church this morning man do you do you ever go to church you're right into it right there right that's what they give you permission to have that kind of a conversation i'm not saying this should be your only place you witness but it's it's pretty easy place to witness if you want you know, right now, one of the big changes that's happened in our life is that our circumstances in life has changed, our, our seasons in life. So we no longer have kids in sports. So I'm no longer working out at a fitness center. Some of you are looking at me like, yeah, I see, you got a problem there. But anyway, uh, we are no longer connected to several things that we used to be connected to that gave us opportunities to engage unbelievers in conversations. And we're right now praying and asking God to open new doors and show us where does he want to use us right now? Where might that be for you? Your neighborhood. How about your neighborhood? It might be a great time to get to know some of the neighbors that you've not yet known. It might be a great time to just say, hey, how are you doing? How'd you get through COVID? How are you getting through COVID? There are all kinds of opportunities around us. Uh, I'm a, I better push on. Invest is the third one. Invest. Paul's thinking about making spiritual investments in the lives of people. So he says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. He's talking about wise relational investments. And notice, these are wise relational investments with outsiders. Now, my guess is that most of us here in this room today know something about making wise financial investments. 
That's why maybe you bought a home or you're buying a home because you know that could be a good investment. Or why you put some money in a savings account because you know that could be a very important thing to do. And the scripture speaks a lot about making wise investments, taking what God has given you and being good stewards of what God has given you. But there are wise relational investments. And that's what Paul's talking about here, making wise relational investments. How do you do that? Well, he's talking, for one, about the whole matter of just conversations, having conversations with people. Here's how I think of uh, wise relational spiritual investments. Time, words, and gifts, those three. If we're going to have investments in the lives of unbelievers, it's going to take time. You're going to need to take some time to actually build a relationship, right? Uh, the amount of time that you give to this relationship will potentially uh, build a deeper relationship, perhaps. It will take it past a surface relationship. You remember Jesus in Luke chapter 15, how he was criticized for hanging out with who? Hanging out with tax gatherers and sinners. And they just leveled him for this. They wanted him to repent from his sin and, you know, get away from those terrible people. And you know what Jesus did in Luke chapter 15? What he did was he told three stories in a row. The only place I know of where he tells three parables in a row to illustrate the same truth. He told the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. In other words, all three of these stories have something that's lost. There's one sheep out of a hundred that was lost. There's one coin out of... Ten that was lost, a dowry coin, a wedding coin. And there's one son out of two that's lost. And in all three cases, ultimately, that which was lost was found. And they threw a party in heaven and they threw a party on earth. And what was Jesus trying to teach? He was trying to teach that one lost person matters to God. And he taught this in the context of them criticizing him for hanging out with unbelievers. And it's almost as if Jesus, you know, three times in a row, bang, 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 says the same thing to ultimately say once and for all to them, listen, God loves lost people. And we need to be with lost people. And you need to be with lost people. And you need to build relationships with lost people. Because if you will do that, lost people will be found. But that's going to take time. And it's going to take words. You've got to be willing to open up your mouth and speak about Jesus Christ to people. Now, that's not to say that you don't talk about other things. But there are going to be opportunities, and this is where the courage comes in, to speak up about Jesus Christ and how much you love him and why he is so important in your life right now and in your family. Words are an essential part of building a relationship, of making investments. And this can happen anywhere. A couple months ago, two haircuts ago. 
I was in, some of you are saying, when are you going back? But anyway, two haircuts ago, I was into the, I guess you call them a salonist now. I don't, I don't know. I'm not good at the language on this. My barber, I, I, I think it's a salonist. But anyway, so I'm in and she says to me, so Dave, what have you been doing today? And I said, well, I've been working on a, a, a message that's connected to God's life-giving story. And it's a, a story that we've learned we could tell in 15 pictures. In my mind, I know how people feel about pictures and stories. We love pictures and stories, don't we? That's why many of us are on Facebook, pictures and stories. That's why we do Instagram, pictures and stories. We love pictures. Why do we go to the theater? Pictures and stories. So I said, so I've been working on these 15 pictures she said, oh, that sound, really sounds interesting. I said, has anybody ever helped you understand the story that's taught in the entire Bible so that you could actually tell God's story, his life-giving story, from beginning to end? She said, no. I said, well, hey, we've got a couple minutes here. you mind if I show it to you? She said, no, please. So I pulled my phone out of my pocket, get the PDFs up of the pictures, and we went through the entire gospel story as she cut my hair. You know what she said at the end? She said, I've never seen that before. I've never understood that before. Right there. In the barber. I mean, whatever chair that is. In that chair. We could do that. You could do that. I just really believe that there are opportunities all around us to engage lost people in conversations but it's going to take time, words, and gifts. And some of the gifts just might be the gift of appreciation. Thank you. Thank you for working at Dutch Bros. I love you. You know, so many places I've been to, they're looking for labor right now. They're, work, they're looking for workers, right? This is a great time to affirm employees. It really is. I go into Lowe's. Too much. But I go into Lowe's and somebody helps me and I tell them, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your kindness. And you continue to go to the same place over and over and over. You're going to become the favorite customer because you're the customer that thanks the employees. You're the customer that recognizes them. You recognize them as people. You love them. You care about them. And I promise you, there will be a day when you will have an opportunity to talk about Jesus Christ. So many ways to give people gifts. The gift of life. And finally, that we want to talk about the last invite. The last I, which is invite. He says, let the conversation, let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, I want you just to notice this. What's Paul looking for? Is he looking for a presentation? No. He's looking for a conversation. He's looking for an opportunity to invite people into a conversation. And sometimes it's just a starter conversation. And sometimes it's a conversation that gets started and it continues and it continues and it can continue for years. He's looking for two-way dialogue. He's looking for a conversation where we have an opportunity to bring grace 
God's unmerited favor, His love, His forgiveness into a conversation. He's looking for a conversation that's seasoned with salt. If you only knew the water that I could give you, if you only knew. He's looking for conversations that are different because people are different and needs are different. And so he says, so, so that you may know how to talk to this particular person. What does this person need? Do they need to have you talk about you got to be born again? Do they need you to talk about living water? Do they need you to talk about riches and how our riches can take our lives over so that they stand in the way between us and God? You know, what's amazing to me about Jesus' presentation of the gospel is that oftentimes that presentation differed, right? You, you really don't see him saying the same thing to everybody he talks to. He's Treating people as individuals. And Paul is saying, you know, we want to find a way to get into conversations with people in such a way that we're able to minister to them at that point of need. And so we get into these conversations and we see where is God going to take it? And we just invite that person into the conversation and invite that person to get into a journey of taking a step perhaps toward God. That's the key. How can I help this person right now take a step toward God? What might that be? I walked up to a guy that was new at our church, and I, I said to him on a Sunday morning, it was before the service started, and I said, hey, I, I don't think I've met you before. That's a dangerous question to ask because, you know, you might have met him before. But anyway, I said it. And he said, no, no, we haven't met before. And I said, is this the first time? He said, yeah. I said, well, that's wonderful. Tell me, why'd you come? He said, I'm trying to sort faith out. Now, that's an open door. I, I'm just trying to figure out faith in my life. And I said a few things. I said, you know what? It would be fun. It would just be fun to maybe get together for coffee. Would you like to do that? He said, yeah. I said, well, text me to this number and we'll find a time. We did. We met for the next two years. Every two, three weeks, we met. And another guy joined us along the way, both of them unbelievers. This guy works at Google. The other guy works at Tesla, or he was working at Tesla. And we had the most amazing spiritual conversations. And it all came out of just inviting them into a conversation over a period of time of just thinking together about matters of faith and God's love for them and Jesus Christ. So all I'm saying is, you know, I'm feeling convicted. I'm feeling like I need to get back on in doing the work of an evangelist. And, and I really feel that for the church. I truly do. I especially feel that for churches that aren't brand new right now because it's very possible that churches that have been around for a while, the work of an evangelist potentially has waned. 
and it's become something that's no longer on the front burner. And so collectively, I have this longing and desire to do what I can as an individual to reconnect with unbelievers and to encourage all of us as a family, as a church family, to reconnect with unbelievers and to do what Jesus did. Did he intercede on behalf of the world? Absolutely. Did Jesus initiate spiritual conversations? You better believe it. Did Jesus make significant investments into the lives of people? Absolutely. And did Jesus invite people to take a next step forward? Come and see. Follow me. You better believe it. We can do the same. Let's pray. Father, thank you for speaking to us today through the scripture. And we just long to, wherever we are, even if it's in chains, even if it's sheltering in place, we long to connect to people that are around us that so desperately need the gospel. And we thank you that we have the privilege of following in the footsteps of Christ footsteps of Paul and be vessels through which the work of evangelism is done. May it be done in new ways. Help us all, even this week, step through those doors that you open and be used by you to help others come to believe in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Dave, thank you so very much. I feel encouraged and challenged, and I feel like I've been reminded of why we do what we do. And uh, thank you for taking us to the scriptures and showing us uh, how important all of that is. We appreciate it so very much. My friend Isabella would like to uh, share a couple of announcements uh, with us this morning. Would you please welcome her? Hi, my name is Isabella, and I wanted to thank you for being here today. Before we close the service, I wanted to uh, we wanted to going to worship God for with our offerings. There are five five different ways you can you you can different ways you can give. The first way you can give is by visiting our website www.solanovalley.org/give. The second way you can give is by tapping the Give button on the CVS app. And the third way you can give is by sending a check to 1307 Oliver Road, Fairfield, California, 94534. And the fourth way you can give is by giving by sending the text GIVE to 707-883-3019. And the final way you can give, if you're here in person, you can place an offering in the silver mailbox slot in the wall behind the sound booth. Bible says the God says God is love and cheerful givers, and we wanted to thank you for your glossary thankful kindness. And I want to remind you that this pat there's. I want to remind you about this week's Coffee with the Pastor 
Coffee with the Pastor is with anyone who wants to meet with one of our pastors for any reasons. If you have questions and millions ideas or you want to just chat over coffee, we want you to be available. If 4 p.m. on Wednesday is not a good time for you, we're happily to arrange another time that works you and us. Feel free to let Pastor Matt knows. Thank you very much. Thank you, dear. Good job. I love it when a young person comes up and says, if you ever need help with announcements, I'm available. So thank you, Isabella. I really appreciate you uh, speaking with us today. Thank you. Let's stand, church, and can't think of a better way to uh, send you out to uh, to practice the four eyes than than with uh, a heart of worship. Okay, we're gonna shout to the Lord again one more time. Dave and Bernice, again, thank you for being here. It was an honor. All right, let's sing, church. My Jesus, my Savior, for there is none like you. All of my days, I want to praise the wonders of your
Thank you so much for being here. Have an awesome week.